Thanks, man. Good morning. How's it going, guys? Good to see you all. Glad you're here, especially those of you visiting for Parents Weekend. Uh, it's great having you guys today. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I love the Psalms. Uh, they are, uh, they're always like way more honest than we are about life, aren't they? I actually, I find that really refreshing. I read the Psalms and I'm like, wow, it's way more honest than I would ever be. But it's true. And uh, we're working through five Psalms through the rest of this month of May before we hit June. And uh, in each one of these Psalms, we're kind of honing in on a different emotion uh, because we are feeling beings, right? We have emotions. And I think it's really important that we seek to try to understand our emotions better so that we can glorify God better through them. Um, the interesting thing I think about emotions actually is that they tell us a whole bunch about ourselves. Our emotions are speaking to us as we are exhibiting them. We're, we're often expressing emotion, but when we're expressing our emotion, we should be listening well because we're learning a bunch about our hearts if we do that. We can learn a lot about what's going on in our hearts. And, and this morning, uh, I'm not so sure if there is actually an emotion that's more telling about the state of our own hearts than the emotion of anger, the emotion of anger. That's what this psalm is, is really all about. Um, this is not one of those psalms, let's just be honest, that if you woke up early one morning, you, you actually did it, you know, and it had like a little bit thunder clouds this morning. Like this, this morning, I was like in heaven. I, I grew up in Montana. I heard the thunder and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So if you wake up on a morning like this and you get your favorite blanket, your favorite chair, your warm cup of coffee or tea or Coke, if that's you, I don't know how you roll. You roll up into your chair and you're like, I just want to spend some time with Jesus. Psalm 79 is not the one you're going to go to, right? It's not, it doesn't leave you just feeling inspired for the day in and of itself, but it's, it's a really uh, significant and important psalm, even if it's not on your top 10 list or top 50 list or whatever list that you have related to the psalms. Why? Because it's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? If you were paying attention as Davey was reading that, it's, it's a bit uncomfortable at first glance because there's a lot of anger going on here. There's a lot of anger. But see, here's the thing, you guys. Here's the thing that we need to see. Every single one of us in this room does anger. Like, we all do anger. Like, you do it, and I do it. If I could put it more directly to you, we all have an anger problem. Each one of us, we all have an anger problem. Now, um, I, uh, I would like to recommend to you a book, actually. I don't do this often, but uh, it's really hard to say in the amount of time that I have, especially in one chapter of the Bible that I have, all there is to say about anger. Okay? This is a complex topic, and there is a book I actually brought it with you this morning so you could see it, because it kind of looks engaging, right? Uh, it's a book called Good and Angry by David Pallison. I highly recommend it to you. It says, Redeeming Anger, Irritation, Complaining, and Bitterness. And he has a lot of really good things to say. Um, I say that, though, because in his, in his book here, he talks about six common reactions that are in this room right now when you hear that phrase that we all have an anger problem. There's six common reactions. I just wanted to point them out before we started, because if we don't, I think some of you might just check out. You're like, I don't have an anger problem. And I think we all do, okay? So I'm just gonna point out each one. They'll be on the screen, and then I'm gonna give you sort of a blind spot, just real quickly, about each one of these approaches to anger. So the first one, uh, is this. Some of you in this room are like, yes, I know I've got an anger problem and I feel really guilty about it and really discouraged. And uh, if that's you this morning, I just want to say there's hope for you. Like you can't, if you have Christ, like you can change and you are changing. 
You really are. But one of your biggest blind spots, I think, as you approach this topic this morning, is that you probably perceive that the goal of your life when it comes to anger is that you just want to have the absence of it in your life. You have it and, and you hate it, so you're like, I just don't want to experience it ever. And you'll see this morning that there is a good kind of anger that we should have. But the second person's going to say, maybe, but I know other people who have a lot bigger problem than I do. And you're like, yeah, I get angry a little bit, but that guy, you know, or my husband or my wife or whatever, you know, they're the ones who really have the problem. And the issue with that, the blind spot with that is if that's you this morning, you're going to have a little bit of an anger problem, but you're not going to think it's significant enough to actually try to tackle. And what's it going to do is going to slip you into self-righteousness in your life, okay? The third person's going to say, no, I don't have a problem. I've got really good reasons to be angry and bitter. And if that's you, I want you to know, like, my heart really does, it goes out to you. I've been praying for you a lot this week. Because I know there's a lot of us in this room who've experienced significant hurt and wounding from other people. But if, that, if that's you and that's your approach to anger, that you're completely justified in having it, all that's going to do is it's going to prohibit you from actually growing and maturing and dealing with these things. And you're approaching this as two wrongs make a right or, or 20 wrongs make a right. And you'll never find healing if that's your approach to it. Uh, the fourth is, well, I might get angry sometimes, but I'm not really an angry person. This is probably a lot of us. We might not perceive ourselves as angry people. We're like, I'm a pretty nice person. So when we get angry, we're like, where did that come from? You know, as if like some alien invasion happened in our life, and we're like, anger? Where did that, how did that get in there? You know? The blind spot of this is that we aren't believing or seeing that we're the ones doing anger, that it's coming from us. We think it's just slipped in somehow. That's, that's really not true. The fifth is uh, a person who would say, no way. No way, I don't have an anger problem. Anger is actually the empowering solution to my personal problems and to social justice. So you see anger not as a bad thing, but as a great thing. It's the solution. We all need to be more angry, you know? And uh, there's some truth to that in some ways for sure. But the blind spot is, is that you might not see how easily the oppressed person can turn into the aggressor person, okay? And you can be right about what's wrong, but are you wrong in the way that you are being right? But, but are you wrong in your way of being right? The, the, the sixth and the final person this morning, uh, and this is, this is maybe some of you for sure, would say, huh? I hardly ever get angry. Life's usually pretty good, and I try to keep my perspectives, uh, my problems in perspective, Okay. And um, the blind spot with that is, is I think this morning, if that's you, if you're like, I never get angry, just keep everything in perspective, that you don't see that there are things within life that are worthy and necessary to get angry at. And we can grow, if this is you, you can be growing indifferent towards the world and pushing all your problems at a distance in order to keep your life peaceful. But that's really not helpful to yourself or to others around you. So I would bet that there's probably, you're in there somewhere. I am. I'm in there like in four places, honestly. I have a problem, I guess. Uh, but nonetheless, we all have an anger problem. In our passage this morning, though, it, it shows us some things that can begin to transform our life, I think, and give us perspective in what we do with our anger. 
And so the first thing I want us to ask that I think our, our psalm really presents for us is what makes you angry? The second thing I want to ask is the question, what makes God angry? And then thirdly, I want us to ask the question, what should you do with your anger? I think all these questions are addressed here. So first, what makes you angry? All right, verse 1. O oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided, by those that are around us. And so if you read that and you're reading it carefully and you care, you're going, what in the heck is happening here? All right, this is pretty dreary. It's pretty dark, right? This is what's happening. This psalm, guys, was most likely written right around the time that Jerusalem had just been taken over. So all these powerful nations had come in finally. God had been warning God's people. He'd been warning his people, hey, judgment's coming, exile's coming, you keep hardening your hearts to me. And, God, and other nations came in, they invaded, and they just tore down the temple, they destroyed the city, they were killing people, and people were scattered all over the ancient Near East. All right, so this is like pretty heavy stuff. So we see here that this outcry from God's people, it's focused on the grief that's caused to them by their enemies. Stuff has happened to them, and they're crying out for justice. They're lamenting with anger. They're, they're crying out to God as a response to what's going on here. It says the nations, in verse 1, came in. What did they do? Well, it says in verse 1 that they had no respect for God's inheritance. Well, what's God's inheritance? It's God's people. It's the land. They, they take the land. They kill God's people, they scatter God's people. They also showed no respect for the temple, which the temple uh, was defiled, is what they're saying here. The temple, guys, it's not just a building everyone liked having around because it was fun to take pictures of and present, hey, come to Jerusalem, look at this cool building. That's not at all why this building was significant. This building was significant because it was a sign to God's people and a sign to the world that God was present with this group of people. It was a symbol that God was present with them and that God was ruling over them. And this was taken from them. And then thirdly, it says, you showed no respect for Jerusalem. It was the city of God. It lays in ruins. But if you go on, you continue to see that verse 2, their anger continues in lamenting that all these people, their friends and relatives who were killed in this battle, right, they were left unburied. They're just laying there because they had to run off and like save themselves in this exile. And they're like, look at all these bodies. We can't, we're not even burying them. How dishonoring is that? I mean, we don't even do that. In the ancient Near East, it was really dishonoring to not be able to like, bury uh, one of your loved ones. This is what they're experiencing. And then verse 3 continues. They had no regard for God's people at all, and it's brought out here in this metaphor of water. It says these humans' lives were like runoff water. That's how devastating this experience was. And then further, to make it worse, in verse 4, they're being taunted, right, that they're, you know, they're being uh, made fun of, you know, they're being mocked by these people. This is their experience. So here's the thing. These people, they're lamenting, they're crying out for justice, they're angry. Why? Why? You'd say rightfully so. What makes them angry? Well, bad stuff is, has happened. 
to them, right? It's happened to them. They're wounded. So they're crying out. It's personal offense kind of stuff here. Well, what makes you angry? Like, when you think about it, like, what makes you angry? If you'll admit this morning that you have an anger problem, right? What makes you angry? Anger speaks loudly, you guys. It speaks loudly to the world. And it speaks loudly to you. Your anger does. It reveals something. This is what it reveals. Anger always reveals what you love. Anger reveals what you love. Anger isn't the absence of love. Don't pit it against each other like you're angry, you're unloving, right? And there's love over here. It's not anger and love. No, love and anger are always, always, always married together. They're always married together, right? They're always tied. See, anger is you. When you get angry, you are doing the anger. It's not an alien invasion in your life, right? Like, where did that come from? I'm a nice person, right? No, anger is you, right? You're doing it. Anger isn't happening to you. You're doing it, and it's revealing something about you. It's revealing what you love. That's what it's doing. I think we might often say in our anger, maybe this is you, you might say in your anger, um, look what you made me do, right? Or you might look, especially if you're a parent, you're like, you made me angry, right? We always point. It's never me, right? It's those kids, right? Uh, Look what you made me do. But if I'm being honest with myself, I know it as well. It's just not true, right? I'm doing the anger. It's always you who do it. The heat is just getting turned up in your life, and what's in you is coming out, and it's revealing what you love, right? The heat's just getting turned up. Uh, yesterday, we were at our, ki- our boys, um, our oldest soccer game, and I asked Eden, she's six, because they were handing out, you know, flyers for next year's soccer, and like, you guys going to sign up, and... I go, Eden, are you going to sign up for soccer next year? And her response was, no. I was like, oh, why? I thought you were interested in soccer. She's like, well, I, I don't want to sweat. I don't want to sweat, you know. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, just in her mind, icky, you know, sweat, don't want to sweat. That's bad, okay? And uh, she gets it, man. You get the heat turned up. You get moving around. What's going to happen? We sweat, right? It's weird. I'm the exact opposite. This sounds weird to say, I'm realizing, coming out of my mouth. I love sweating, okay? I love it. I love saunas, to be honest with you. I go to a sauna, like, multiple times a week. I'd go every day if I could, right? I love saunas. I go to the gym all the time to do the sauna. That's, like, my treasure or my treat at the end of working out. I'm like, well, I can do the sauna, okay? But I love a sauna, and, and the reason is, is you go in there, and what's going to happen, right? It's a basic question here. What's going to happen? You're going to sweat, right? It's, like, 190 degrees. Sometimes it says 210. I don't know if that's right or not. It says 210, but I'm in there 15 minutes, 20. If I'm in there longer than 20, I'm going to throw up, okay? But I'm in there 15, 20 minutes. Let me tell you what. If I go to a sauna, it doesn't matter how much before I go in the sauna, I meditate. I think I am not going to sweat, but I'm going to go in there, but I'm not going to sweat. doesn't matter how much will I have, right? When the heat gets turned up, it's going to come out of me, right? What's in me is going to come out, it's, 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 it's sweat, right? It's not coffee or vegetables or, you know what I mean? Like, it's sweat. Like, what is in me, the way I'm designed, it's going to come out. The same way when the heat gets turned up in your life, what's in you will come out, and what's coming out is revealing what you love. It might not feel loving, but it's revealing what you do love. 
See, when we brood on the question of what makes us angry, if we're being honest with ourselves, what makes us angry is most, honestly, it's usually just a stuff that's a personal affront against us. We usually only get angry when we take the hit. I mean, for years, God had been warning his people that this was coming, and they kept hardening their hearts to God. We're going to see here in a second, he was angry at their sin, but they weren't angry at it. They only cry out in anger when they lose their stuff. So I think in a lot of ways, though, we're like Israel. We only get angry when we lose our possession, when we've been disrespected, when people are speaking ill of us, like we see here in verse 4. These are things that we see happening in these verses. And our anger, guys, it's most often me-centered. It's not very God-centered. It's me-centered. Most of my anger, I think it comes out when I'm inconvenienced. Look what you made me do. Now I have to do it this way, you know? Uh, it comes out when I'm tired. It comes out when I'm offended. When my back's hurting, you know? When someone's hurt me or wounded me. These are, these are all things I'm sharing with you honestly. But I'm sure you would assume the same thing of yourself. It's then and most often only then when I feel angry. When I feel like my honor has been tainted or it's at stake when my possessions have been ruined in some ways, or my name is being tarnished, or my will isn't being done. It's all me-centered stuff. Just to be really practical, I give you an example. I love my world to be very ordered and clean. Love it, okay? If that's you, think twice before you have children, all right? <laughs> um, don't regret it one bit, but my gosh, if I'm just being really transparent this morning, I notice my anger rise up the most when it comes to my clean and ordered world being tainted by my kids, right? Sadly, just soberingly, I'm all too often confronted with the reality that my anger reveals very much a me-centered life that I have. I would never say this on paper, but I say it with my anger that I love a clean and ordered world more than I love my kids some days. I would love my possessions over people. It's me-centered type stuff. Maybe that's not your exact specific situation in life, but if this is you in some way, I think it's revealing a lot about your own heart. It's revealing what you love, and it's revealing what you're after in life. And if you're sober enough this morning to admit it, what we are most often after is ourselves. We love ourselves. And so here in these four verses, the question is raised, what makes you angry this morning? It's an important question because you do anger, because anger is revealing what you love. So what makes you angry? What is that saying about you? Secondly, what makes God angry? Look with me in verse 5. It says, how long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. For your name's sake. 
Uh, let me ask you, uh, do you think, before you walked in here this morning, right, you're hearing it now, but do you think God gets angry? Do you really think God gets angry? I think there's like two dangerous spectrums in this room. There's some of you this morning who, when you picture God, you immediately just feel shame. Right? And so all you imagine is God sort of like crossing his arms, shaking his head at you in disappointment all the time. And so your vision of God is one where he's just barking out orders over you, shaking his head, fuming with anger, just desiring to shame you for all the ways you keep screwing up. And I really want you to know this morning that that is a false picture of God. God actually, he loves you. And if you're a Christian, you are loved fully and finally by God, okay? But then there's another picture that maybe some of you have in this room. Maybe you would say, at one point, I had that picture of God, but then I kind of grew out of that, you know? And so you're here this morning, and your picture of God is almost like a hippie God, you know? He's just constantly grinning and giving you this, you know? (laughs) Right? We all do this now in pictures. I even do this. But we're just doing this. So you could do whatever you want under the sun, what terrible sin or offense, and you just picture God being like, it's all right. It's cool. You know? You got the hippie God in your mind, right? Neither end of that spectrum picture is true. And the reason is we have a, a the problem is our perspective on anger, right? We have, a, we have a bad perspective on anger. Anger is most often only categorized by us as a bad thing. We only think of it as a bad thing. But really, way back in the day, like way back, I don't know, a long time ago, okay? Uh, it wasn't that way. Humans ruined it. Like, we really have ruined it over time, okay? Just like clowns, okay? Clowns, they used to be, like, funny, apparently, and, like, amusing, and now they're just terrifying, right? Yeah, thanks Stephen King, right? He ruined clowns for us, okay? He ruined clowns. In the same way, I want you to see that both of those spectrum ends are just not true when you look at Scripture. We've ruined anger. Our experience of anger has ruined anger for us. We think of it as only a bad thing, and that only the absence of it is the good thing. And so we see here a question raised in verse 5, and this question serves as a transition from lamenting that they have, and, it's, and it transitions them into prayer, okay? So here God's people pose a question. What's the question in verse 5? How long, O Lord, how long, Yahweh, will you be angry forever? I think it's important to here to simply point out that God gets angry, Okay, he gets angry. They point out that God is angry, and here they have this heart-wrenching cry of a question. They say, how long? This is a cry from a wounded people, you guys. How long? They're not proud anymore. They're wounded. They just received a humiliating and severe blow. But notice they aren't asking why God is angry. They know why. They're asking how long will he be angry? They know why he's angry. They're asking how long they must suffer. So why is God angry? What makes God angry? Well, at least here we see God is angry because of what? Their sins. He's angry because of their sin. They, they harden their hearts. They wouldn't listen to them, to him. They hardened their hearts against God. They didn't listen, and God brought them low. That's what it says in verse 8. It says, we are brought very low. Not just low, very low. What are they crying out for? It says, do not remember against us our former iniquities, which is just a fancy word for 
wrongdoing against God, offending God, sinning against God. And what do they cry out for? Atone for our sins, verse 9. Guys, God is angry because of their sin. So I've already asked you, what do you get angry at? But now I want to ask you, do you get angry at the things that God gets angry at? Do those line up? See, oftentimes we get angry when we're tired. I mean, I do. I've just said that. Right? When I'm exhausted, I've had a long day. You know, when my fuse is shorter, so many times my anger is out of annoyance or inconvenience. God's anger? Well, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, it tells us that God never gets tired. Right? He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get weak. He doesn't have a bad day, you know? His anger is very much unlike our anger. His anger is very controlled. It's not flippant. He doesn't fly off the handle. We don't need to calm God down, right? We don't need to have him leave the room and gather himself for a second, and then he can come in and apologize to us. Like, that's not the way that God's anger functions, right? His anger is controlled. It's intentional. It's natural. It's focused. He hates sin. He hates rebelling against himself, us rebelling against him and his good rule and reign. Why? Because he created life, and he knows how this thing works. And you were meant to reflect him in his image, and that glorifies him, and life works beautifully that way. But we often go to him and we say, no, I think I'd, I'd like to live a different way, you know? So in a sense, if you, if you hit someone out of anger, or if you harm someone or wound someone even with your words, right, you have offended God. Why? You're like, well, no, I offended that person. No, you've offended God. Why? Well, because he designed you to not harm or injure others, whether it's physical or emotional or, or whatever it would be. And so he designed you to love others. And so when you decided to treat that person that way, you looked at God and said, no, thanks. I want to do it my way. So that's, that's an offense against God. He said, this is how this thing is supposed to work. And we've said, sorry, uh, I don't really like that person. So I want to do this. You might not slow down and process it enough that way, but that's what we're doing, right? See, God's anger is very different than, than our anger in many sense of the word. I've shared this with you guys, but it's the best example I can think of this week. Um, for a long time in my life, in my late teenage years, I hated my parents, okay? Happy family weekend, right, to you guys. Uh, hated my parents, okay? Um, but I hated my parents because they were a front to me. They, they were up against me in the way I wanted to live. I was abusing any drug under the sun and trying to get as many girls as I could. And my parents were angry at me. But they were angry at me not because they hated me. They were angry because they loved me. And they saw the way that I was living was ruining my life. They said, that's not the way you're supposed to live. That's not life, Josh. So they, 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 their anger was a good kind of anger because they saw the way I was living, the sin I was creating and using in my life, and it was ruining me. But I was angry at them because they were a personal front to me. Mine was the me-centered anger. Theirs was the God-centered anger, okay? Clearest experience of my life. I think it's appropriate for us even then to watch the news, guys, or read the news, if you still read, okay, to hear about the injustices 
done to people, right? The oppression that you see of, of, of women or when you hear about human trafficking or the use of chemical weapons, and like, I, we can go on and on, right? It is very appropriate for you to feel angry when you see that kind of stuff because the world isn't the way that it should be. See, God gets angry at sin. His anger has burned against the suffering and injustice that comes from sin. And we tend to categorize anger as if all anger is sinful, though. Why? Because anger for us is only often most used by us and experienced by us in sinful, rageful kind of ways. That's usually just when we experience it. But God's anger here it isn't destructive. It's not a lost my cool, burn the house down kind of anger of God. No, it's redemptive anger. God's anger is redemptive anger. Oh, guys, how unlike God we are in our anger. His anger is redemptive. It's not destructive. Why? Because his anger is designed to lead his people to repentance. And that's what you see happening here. This anger has led his remnant people to a place of prayer, and their prayer is for what? What are they praying for now? Forgiveness. What are they praying for now? Atonement. Yes, they needed atonement for their sins, and you and I need atonement for our sins. Just like in any culture, when someone is wronged, there is always a need for atonement. We know this. We, we believe this. You speed, you got to pay some money, right? You drink and drive, you're going to lose your license. You do X, Y, and Z, right? We say there has to be atonement. Something needs to be done to reconcile things. We need justice to come in order to move forward to have our debts reconciled. Like, this is intuitive to us. But not only atonement, these people desire forgiveness to have what? Their shame removed. They want their shame removed, to be forgiven. Guys, God gets angry at our sin because his anger is tied to his love, and therefore it's redemptive. It's redemptive. See, guys, God would answer this prayer that these guys are praying. But he's going to answer it in ways far and above and beyond their hopes and anticipations. He would answer this prayer beyond all reasoning. He would answer their prayer for forgiveness and atonement in a, such a wise way that actually seemed really foolish to the world. He answered their prayer not in the ultimate timeliness that they would have hoped for, but God answered it fully and finally and better than in any desire they could have ever manufactured in themselves. He's going to hear their prayer. Because not only would God bring forgiveness and atonement, and not only would God eventually vindicate and restore them after a long season of exile, God was going to forgive and restore and atone for their sin. He was going to satisfy his anger against their sin, not by throwing down on them, but by coming down to be with them. See, God's anger drove him nearer to his people than we could ever imagine. Have you noticed that in the gospel? God's anger actually drove him nearer to his people. I just think it's an interesting question. Does your anger drive you nearer to people? His anger drove him nearer to his people than he could ever imagine. God's anger drove him to send Jesus, his son, who experienced the anger and hatred of humanity. Jesus not only experienced the world's anger, it drove him to experience the world's anger on a cross, you guys. And on the cross, when Jesus hung on the cross, 
on Mount Calvary right there, on Good Friday at noonday, what happened? Darkness fell over. It was noon like an eclipse or something, right? And darkness fell over, and Jesus experienced the full satisfaction of God's anger towards sin when he endured the payment, the atonement for that sin on the cross. See, God's anger is tied to his love, and his love informs his anger, and his anger reveals his love. This is why I asked you, do you get angry at the things that God gets angry at? That's why I asked you that. Because if God is good and right and made everything, then having our hearts aligned to his, I think would cause us to experience and to exhibit anger in ways that are redemptive and not destructive. And therefore, as followers of Jesus, our prayer then becomes not that we would experience the absence of anger in our life, but that we would experience the right and good kind of anger in our life, because it would be redemptive. Um, Most of you know what Spotify is, correct? right? I recognize there's some maybe who don't, right? It's a music streaming platform on an app or a desktop or something, okay? Listen to any song you want. It's great, okay? Thanks, Andy Crow. Uh, appreciate him. He pays for mine. So, um, anyways, I, uh, uh, he's a great friend, okay? Um, but if you were to follow me on Spotify, it's one of my favorite things about Spotify, on the desktop version, where you can look over and you can follow your friends, you can see what they're listening to. I love it, because sometimes I'm watching what you guys are listening to, and I like text you, I'm like, really, that right now, you know? And uh, man, but if you followed me, which like all four of you do, I'm sure, um, I keep losing followers, and I know why. I'm just kidding, I don't even know if I do or not. But there's a reason why, uh, if you followed me, it'd be kind of strange, because you would think, if you followed me, that I just love listening to high school musical soundtracks and kids bop. Like, seriously, like, it's like all the time, Josh is listening to High School Musical 3, you know? Um, but the reality is, no, my kids, hours upon hours of the day are jumping on Spotify playing DJ, listening to high, usually my four-year-old likes High School Musical music, but, which is weird. But, um, and some of you love High School Musical, I recognize that, it's okay, all right, you can like that. Okay, but at the same time, you, if you jumped on Spotify, looked at me, you're following me, you're looking at the music I'm playing, you would think Josh loves High School Musical, right? He loves Kids Bop. That's kind of not normal, I guess, for a 35-year-old man. But nonetheless, like, that's what you would think because you're following me. But my kids are just jumping on there, right? And they're, they're playing their music. That doesn't represent me very well, right? We don't like the same kind of music. In the same way as people, guys, made in the image of God, especially if you claim the name of Jesus this morning, as a redeemed person following him, having the Holy Spirit in your life, we are walking examples of what God is like to the world. Doesn't mean we're perfect, but we're we're to show the world what God is like and what we get angry at is one of the most important things that has an opportunity to show the world what God is like, what God loves, what God is after. We get the chance to jump on God's Spotify every day. And our anger either represents the loving heart of God and its redemptiveness, or it misrepresents it. It's redemptive or it's destructive. So finally, what should you do with your anger? What should you do with your anger? 
says in verse 10, why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great powers, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever from generation to generation we will recount your praise. So here's our question. When you get angry, how do you act? Like, what do you do with your anger? How do you respond? And I mean when you're personally wounded. I'm not saying, uh, just as an aside, let me be clear, what's off the table here is the idea that when you see someone being harmed, I think it's very right and appropriate to get angry at that situation and to do all you can to protect that person, okay? I'm talking about when you're personally wounded, when you're personally offended. Like when you get angry as a personal affront, what do you do with that? See, I think when we get angry, often we move out in our anger in order to get vindication, right, for our own name. We move out to get vindication for our own sake. But here, these people, guys, they're appealing to God for vindication. That's what they're doing. They say, where is their God, right? Verse 10, they say, the nations are saying, where is their God? They're mocking you, God. Look what these nations are doing to you. They don't even think you're real or that you're good, and so they're wanting vindication, but why are they wanting it? It's God-centered vindication. They're wanting it for the sake of God's name, right? They want vindication for God's glory's sake. It says that in the verses preceding this. But what are they practically doing? They have a God-centered desire for vindication, but what are they actually doing? Well, if you read the last couple of verses, you see this. Verses 10, 11, and 12, what are they doing? These people are just crying out to God that God would bring the vindication, they're asking God to do it. Well, what is the thing that they're doing? What's the only thing that they're actually doing? Verse 13, we are the sheep of your pasture. We give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. What are the people doing in their anger? They're giving thanks to God, praising God. What, is, what are they asking for? They're asking God to bring the vindication. They're not bringing it. They're not moving out with their fiery anger saying, we're going to vindicate our name or we'll get them God for you. No, they're saying, we're going to give thanks. We're going to give praise. But they're leaving the vindication in God's hands. This will be on the screen because you might be saying, well, maybe that's just an Israel thing, right? But now it's like 2018, right? Like, should we do the same exact thing? Well, actually, yes, because Romans 12 says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Up until that, that point, Paul's just quoting a bunch of scripture. He's like, Jesus said this, this says this here, okay? He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, the call here that you see in Psalm 79 and places like Romans 12 is to not take your personal offenses into your own hands, 
but it's actually to leave it to God. And in Romans especially, guys, we hear that we should not only respond with the absence of evil, but you respond with the presence of good. It's not just saying I'm not going to lash out. It's saying I'm going to respond with good. Not evil for evil, not evil with absence, evil with good. I'm going to move in that direction. Well, why is it this way? Why should it even be this way? Well, it, whether it's today or one day, God will bring vindication. He is going to make things right. Talk about radical living. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Like, this is pretty crazy. This is really radical. That we should be slow and, and leave the vindication in God's hands. And in that mo- moment of fury and anger, to not lash out. It's kind of like when you're starving, right? You're never starving, usually, but like you say it, you're really hungry, and you just want the meal so bad, it comes fresh out of the oven, you've done it, right? What do you do? You dive in, first bite, what happens? You burn your tongue, don't you? Right? Ruins the meal. You're like, dang it, I'm still hungry, I'm going to eat it, but I'm not even going to enjoy it now, right? You got to wait for it. In the same way, man, our anger, you let it cool. The vindication, let it cool. Leave it to God is what this is saying to you. Why should we respond with our anger in this way, though? Just because it's good advice, don't burn your tongue kind of stuff, you know? Why should we not seek to vindicate ourselves? Why should we not get back at them? Well, guys, because if you are a Christian, your entire life, your entire standing this morning is based upon the good news that Jesus didn't get you back. That's your entire life story now. You live into that story this morning, Because when Jesus experienced the ultimate evil and sin from our own lives, he took it and he didn't just respond with the absence of that anger, he responded with the presence of the ultimate good. He was the ultimate one, guys, who returned evil with good. Again, not just the absence of it, but with the presence of it. So this morning, if the good news is that Jesus didn't get you back, but instead he gave you the greatest good, he saved you then every offense that we receive, guys, is actually an opportunity to embody the gospel to one another and to people who really need to hear it. Every time you don't seek to get someone back, but when you instead return their wounding with healing, or you return their stealing from you with giving, or when you return their hatred of you with love, their evil with good. Every time you do that, you display the heart of God. Your anger can be redemptive anger when you begin to place the vindication in God's hands. See, when our anger is God-centered, our response always places our actions and the outcomes in God's hands. When our anger is God-centered, it always replaces our actions and the outcomes in God's hands. Guys, anger is a a God-given emotion. I hope you see that this morning. We see it in the Psalms. We see it in God. And you see it in you. But what we do with that anger matters. And it tells the world a story. A story that could be redemptive for them too as it's been redemptive for you. Pray with me.